Good morning, church family. I needed to say morning just to trick my brain into knowing that it is still morning. It's a little uh, dark in here. I think I said evening a couple times in the first service. So if I say that again, uh, know that it's probably going to happen to you too, okay? So uh, we'll we'll be good. And so uh, I just wanted to say thank you again for being here. Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, This is absolutely my favorite time of year. It's probably yours as well. It's such a meaningful time for those of us that are uh, believers. And, you know, many times we... We think about Jesus and what he fulfilled for us um, in terms of his finished work on the cross at Easter time. But really, for me, I I think Christmas and Easter are a package uh, deal. And so uh, that's one of the things I hope that we see this morning as we look at Scripture together, that the birth of Christ and the cross of Christ, uh, they're all part of the same plan. And that plan is from God himself so that we might experience peace Again, And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. As you know, we've been uh, in a sermon series for the Advent theme. So we looked at hope, then we talked about love and joy. And this morning, we're going to talk about peace that we have. And so for many of you in the room, there's probably some things that you think of when you think of peace, right? For some of you, after uh, the next several days, peace to you is going to uh, probably look a lot like just quiet and tranquility, right? You may need to lock yourself in a room somewhere uh, and just spend a couple of minutes alone. We're going to descend upon my parents' house this evening, and we're going to be there for several days. So when me and all 47 kids leave um, next week, my parents are going to be like that, right? So they're going to be like, this is peace, right? But what we're going to talk about today is peace that's different, that we're going to talk about a peace that is the absence of hostility, right? And so that's what we're going to look at today, what it means and how Jesus accomplishes that peace for us. And really, we could just start right with the birth narrative of Jesus, but I want to make sure uh, this morning that we see that, that this didn't just start with Jesus's birth, This has been a theme actually all throughout scripture. In fact, all of these, hope, love, joy, and peace are themes of this entire Bible. It's important to know that. It's good for us to understand that, that that this was was all a part of scripture from the very beginning. And so that's what I want us to do today. Maybe a little unique, but I actually want us to not start with the birth of Christ. I want us to start back at the very beginning in Christ creation because we're going to see that peace, a peace that was provided in the very beginning was actually provided for us once again after we broke the peace that God had offered to us. And so that's where we're heading together this morning. If you have your Bible, you're more than welcome to uh, turn the pages. We're going to be basically from Genesis all the way to the book of Colossians this morning. And um, you are encouraged to do that. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. All the verses that I'm going to talk about will be right here on the screen behind me today. But I wanted this again to start at the very beginning and look at the fact that peace was provided. So let's start at the very beginning, Genesis. And I'm going to read Genesis 1-1 because this is where it all started. Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Genesis chapter Two, we see that this creation narrative continues on in verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. We see in 
Genesis chapter two, verse eight. It says that the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And so in the creation account from the very beginning, what we see is that God created everything in the world. In Genesis chapter one, it goes on to say that each day God adds to the creation order, right? And when we get to day six, the Bible tells us that God creates man. And the Bible tells us that he doesn't just create man and then leave him on his own. God creates the man for a relationship with himself. And so God, it says in in scripture in chapter 2, it says that God plants a garden for him. And God takes the man and he places him in that garden. And he tells him to, to subdue it, right? And then he gives him a wife and he tells him to multiply. And in that garden, what we see is peace. A peace that was provided from God from the very beginning. The man and the woman, they had peace within their relationship with one another. They had peace in their relationship with their creator, God. And God actually supplied for them all that they would need to flourish in this world. So God says, be fruitful and multiply. He also says, take care of the garden and and benefit from what I have provided you with. So a curse had not yet taken over. So we see in the very early pages of scripture that God provided for us everything that we need for our good and our flourishing. And a part of that is real, authentic peace. But as you may know, that's not our current reality, right? It doesn't take very long to look around and see that that peace that God provided in the Garden of Eden, well, that's, that's really not around anymore, right? And so what happened? There has to be an explanation. Something had to fracture and break that peace. Somehow brokenness and hostility and sin entered into the equation, And that's what we see if we begin to progress through the pages of Scripture. And it doesn't take very long for us to start heading in that direction. We see that peace was ultimately broken. So in Genesis chapter 2, again, before we move on, in verse 16, God created Adam. He placed him in the garden. He provided for him all that he needed. And then God, being God, gave Adam his first and only command as far as what he was to not do. And we see that it says in the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of the tree of any tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So they're in the garden experiencing real peace with one another, with their creator, God. God establishes some ground rules for them and says, listen, in the garden, you can do all of these things And you can eat of anything that's in here, but there's one thing that I'm asking you not to do. It's to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Bible tells us that the man and the woman, they fail at that command. They rebel against their creator, God. They decide to do things that they want to do instead of what God asked them to do. And we see that that is what fractures this peace that was provided. We see this in Genesis chapter 3. I'll read verse 6. It says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate too. So we see in Scripture that God says, Don't eat of this tree. And the Bible tells us that when the woman and the man, they looked upon the tree and they saw 
that it was a delight to their eyes. They, they wanted what the tree had to offer and that the tree was desired to make one wise. They decided to partake in eating of the tree that God commanded them not to eat from. Now, interwoven in this story is some deception that we know comes from the serpent or the person that we would call the devil. And he explains to Adam and Eve, or, or, or he deceives them by questioning God's word. He says, did God really say that you couldn't eat from that tree? Did God really say that if you ate from the tree that you would die? And they answer him, yes, that's what God says. And he tells them, you won't surely die. God just doesn't want you to be like him. And so in their, in their hearts, they desired to be like God. They rebelled against God's command. And that's what we see in Scripture breaks this peace that God had provided. So sin enters into the world, and as a result of sin, brokenness, that every single person in this room has experienced personally and can very easily look around and see in the world around us. The very first effects of this sin we see in Genesis chapter 3, two verses later in verse 8, we see shame enters in as a result of their sin. It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. So they know that what they've done is wrong. They know that what they've done is broken the commands of God. They don't fully understand all of the implications yet. They do know that God has told them that something called death will occur, but they've never seen it before. But the very first thing they experience is shame as a result of their sin, right? We see this even in little kids. The first time they do something that they know that they're not supposed to, and, 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 it, and it hits them that I did something like this. This is oftentimes the reaction that we see, right? That they will go and try to hide themselves from, from what's coming, the, the shame and, and the result of, of their sin. And we see here that Adam and Eve, they know. They know that something is different. They know that something has changed, and now they want to hide from their creator instead of walk with him in the garden. So we already begin to see the effects of sin and brokenness in their relationship with the Lord. We'll also see very quickly in Scripture the fallout between their relationship with one another. But sin has broken the peace that was provided to us by God himself. As we get to the end of Genesis chapter three, we see that God begins to put his plan of redemption and salvation into motion. It doesn't take all the way to the New Testament. It's not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where we first hear of God's plan to save his people from this brokenness. It actually begins right here in Genesis chapter three. And before we talk about 315, in the first gospel, I want to see 323 because we see this as an act of grace by God. It says, therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taking. Now, some of that is a result of that sin and brokenness, but honestly, we see an act of grace by God. It says he expels them from the garden, not because he doesn't love them but because he doesn't want them to become stuck in their hopeless situation. God doesn't want them to eat of the tree of life and be stuck in their situation of sin 
and the brokenness of the peace that they once had with him. God desires reconciliation. God desires to be in right relationship with them once again. And we know, based upon what we see in Scripture, that God knows the only way for that to take place is for him to do it himself. There's nothing that we could do to reconcile our relationship with God. Only God could do what was necessary to reconcile our relationship back to himself. So that's what we begin to see. After Genesis chapter three and moving on, we see that peace was promised again. Peace is promised again. So peace was provided. We broke that peace that we had with God and God says, I promise to provide peace again. And it starts right there in Genesis chapter three, verse 15. When he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The Lord there is talking to the serpent. He says, listen, you might think that you have won a victory here, but one day, one day I'm gonna send my only son and you may bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And he's going to provide for you peace again. So we begin to see that interwoven throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. You know, there are some 300 plus references to the Messiah in the Old Testament. Where God time and time again says, listen, I promise you that I'm going to do something to restore the peace with me that was broken. We get all the way to the book of Isaiah and we find passages that are very common for us to read this time of year, but powerful in what they mean. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel or God with us. God was prophesying. God was calling his shot. God was letting us know that part of this process of restoration And reconciliation was going to require him coming to earth. He says, I'm going to come and dwell among you. What an unbelievable thought. And he says, this will be your sign. You're looking for a virgin that conceives and bears a son. In Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, we have something very similar. He says, for for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God's also foreshadowing here of what that is going to look like. It's not going to be just a baby. It's going to be a baby that grows up to become a man. And the government is going to be placed upon his shoulders and he will bear our sin penalty on the cross. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This peace that's promised to us again, it doesn't come just through the birth birth of his son, but it comes through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We see this in Isaiah 53, verse 5. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So God in the Old Testament promises peace again. And he says, there's going to be a Messiah that's born. 
And these are the things that you should be looking for. And that child that's born is one day going to take on the penalty for sin upon himself and bring us peace and healing through his work on the cross. And so we see this interwoven all throughout the Old Testament. Then we see that peace was delivered. Peace was delivered. God makes good on his promise. The the foreshadowing of the Old Testament of the Messiah that was going to be born actually takes place. And we see one of the earliest people that got to see this and experience this were the shepherds in Luke chapter 2 coming on the heels of 400 years of silence from the prophets. There are shepherds that are out in the field, and this is what Scripture says happens. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So the Messiah, the long-awaited baby that they were looking for, is now on the scene. And the angels let the shepherds know that this is for our good, right? They say, fear not, we bring you good news of great joy. Joy for all people. How is it good news for all people? It's good news because now God God has entered into the world. And God's going to begin his sinless life in this on this earth. And eventually we know he's going to go to the cross for our salvation and forgiveness of sin. And so it's good news of great joy that'll be for all people. After this proclamation in Luke chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, it says, And suddenly there was an, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so we're reminded that Jesus' birth signifies the peace that God has meant to restore with us, a peace that he provided, a peace that we broke, a peace that he was going to accomplish for us again. And that's what we see next in the narrative of Scripture. We see that peace was accomplished. Remember, it didn't stop at the birth of Jesus Christ. It culminates in the cross of Christ. And we see this in the book of Colossians. Colossians Chapter 1, verse 19 and 20 say, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's the incarnation that we're talking about. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So we know that real peace was accomplished through the finished work of Jesus on the cross on our behalf. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22 go on to say, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's what real peace looks like. Jesus, Jesus kills the hostility between us and God. He, he, he restores peace from the brokenness that we caused in our relationship with God and one another and the world. 
And it says that he provides us salvation, a salvation that is so incredible that when we stand before God one day, this is what it says, that you will be presented as holy and blameless above reproach before him. That means that what Jesus has done for us has provided us with the salvation that when God looks at us, he no longer sees our sinfulness. He no longer sees what caused that peace to be broken in the first place, but instead he sees the finished work of his son, Jesus Christ. And we get his holiness, his blamelessness, his above reproach. Thus restoring to us peace with God once again through reconciliation in his blood on the cross. That leads us to the last thing that I want to talk to us about this morning as far as scripture's take on peace. We know that God provided it. We know that we broke it. We know that God promised to provide it again. We know that that was accomplished through the work of Jesus Christ And last but certainly not least this morning, we see that peace is offered to you. Peace is offered to you as an individual. The Bible's very clear all throughout Scripture that we are sinners and we fall woefully short of God's standard of perfection and that there's nothing that we can do to earn our own salvation. We can't be good enough, we can't try hard enough. It's not about scales of doing more good than we did bad. The Bible tells us that one sin is enough to make us fall short. But because of what Christ did on the cross, the Bible tells us that if we would believe and confess, that we will be saved. That's it. I know it seems too good to be true, but that's the whole story. The peace that was provided, that we broke, that God promised to provide again, that Jesus accomplished, it's offered to you freely. If you would simply believe and confess, that's what this whole Bible is about. It's what all these pages are about. It's about God's pursuit of us as sinners. We see that God restores to us hope in a hopeless situation. We see that God demonstrates his love for us and that he dies for us while we were yet sinners, right? We see that we are able to have joy in in a world full of brokenness and sin because we know what he's done for us and how this thing ends. And we're able to experience real peace with God offered to us by him and him alone. So I want to read for you a couple passages from the book of Romans. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. Say, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Continues on in verses 11 through 13. We don't read them as often, but man, they are equally powerful. It says, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
peace is offered to you. God loves you. God desires a relationship with you. God wants to be reconciled back to you. That's why he sent his son. That's what John 3.16 is about. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God has demonstrated to us all throughout the pages of Scripture that he wants to be reconciled. He wants you to experience peace. He wants you to experience salvation. And here's the good news. You can experience that if you would simply believe and confess, just as Romans 10, 9 through 13 reminded us. For those of you in the room, who've experienced this salvation, this reconciliation, this peace with God. I bet you every single one of you in this room could describe for us in vivid detail what was going on in your life when that happened. Where you were at. You may not be able to give me the exact time or, or the date, but I promise you, you could supply to me some, some information, right? I remember my salvation moment like it was yesterday. I know it was a Thursday. I know I was on a mission trip to tell other people about Jesus, but I didn't know Jesus myself. And I love the fact that God didn't care where I was at or what I was doing. He showed up anyways. I wasn't looking for him, but he found me. And that night I realized for the very first time that I was a sinner in desperate need of a savior and that my only hope for salvation was going to be a relationship with Jesus Christ, a relationship that would cause me to experience true peace and reconciliation with God. And when I confessed my sin and I believed in my heart that God raised Jesus from there, I'm telling you, it changed me forever. In a moment, in an instant. Now, God still had some, some work to do. Over the years, God has, has refined me and, and grown me in relationship with himself. But I know in a moment and in an instant, something changed. I experienced real peace for the first time. And just like we've talked about through all these, it wasn't because of an absence of the crazy going on around me. That still is happening. But internally, I know in here that I've experienced real peace. And I know that my relationship with God has been changed forever. Not because of what I did, but because of what Jesus did. All I simply had to do was confess and believe. God did all the rest. I want you to hear that this morning. I want you to know that the reason why we celebrate Christmas has a lot more to do with the cross of Jesus than it does the, the birth narrative of Jesus. God left the glory of heaven to come to earth so that you might be saved. I'm gonna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes all around the room this morning. We're gonna do a response time that's a little bit different today. I'm just gonna ask you to stay right where you're at there in your seat. But I do want to give you the opportunity to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which means the good news. The good news is that you can have forgiveness of sin and peace with God through a relationship with Jesus. 
So I'm gonna lead you through a prayer. Listen, there's nothing magical or special about these exact words. What matters is that you believe. What matters is that, that you communicate this to God. So this is what I'd ask you to pray. If you need to do business with the Lord, if there's never been a time in your life when you put your hope and your faith and your trust in Christ and Christ alone, you pray this with me this morning. If you desire to have a relationship with Jesus, God, I recognize because of my sin, I need you. I believe that Christ Jesus came to live, die, and be raised to life to rescue me from my sin. Forgive me. I turn from my selfish ways and I put my faith and trust in Jesus alone. Amen. So I'm gonna ask everybody in the room to, to look up here at me. Listen, I want you to know if you're in this room this morning and you prayed that prayer, I can tell you with confidence that the scriptures say that you have been saved. If you've truly believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth, the scriptures tell us that you have a relationship with Christ Jesus. And maybe for some of you, it's the very first time in your whole life. Can I encourage you to do something this morning? If you prayed to receive Christ, would you tell someone? Would you tell someone that you're with so that they can encourage you, so that they can celebrate with you? What an incredible Christmas this is gonna be for you. Boy, a relationship with Jesus changes all of this in a very profound way. Grab one of us pastors and tell us, we would love to encourage you and celebrate with you. If you aren't with somebody, you just want to write it on the card in the seat back in front of you. You just write that on there and put your name. And, and if you want us to be able to reach out and encourage you and, and let you know kind of what happens next in your relationship with Christ, you fill that card out, you drop it in the box on your way out. I just want to encourage you to respond and let somebody know if today was the day that you came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. At this point in our service, we're going to have the opportunity to observe communion together. And this is the really meaningful part for those of us who already have a relationship with Christ Jesus. This is a time when we can stop and reflect on the finished work of Jesus on the cross on our behalf and say, thank you, God, for all that you've done. On your way in, you should have received the elements. I'm gonna encourage you to begin opening those now. If you'd start with that clear plastic on top, that will open the bread, followed by the purple foil that will open the juice. encourage you, if you have a relationship with Christ, to participate with us in this. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, our prayer for you today is still that you would come to saving faith. For those of us in the room that know Jesus, I want to read for us a passage from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. And I want you to sit and I want you to just think about what Jesus has done on your behalf. I want you to think through the implications of this salvation that he's provided for you. 